Hark the banshee's plaintive crying, mourns the pride of all our race, Keenan for the young O'Brien. None shall ever take his place. Home he rode upon the midnight through the wild impetuous storm, and his mother, watching, waiting, sees the banshee's fearful form. Hears the banshee's lonely keen, widely wailing on the wind. No one can mistake her meaning. Death is thundering close behind. Swiftly on the midnight hour, over the black and gloomy heap, comes the fateful coach devour, the relentless coach of death. Up his horse rear, vainly trying to escape the horrid sight, through his master, left him lying dead upon that horrid midnight. Hark the banshee's plaintive crying, mourns the pride of all our race, Keenan for the young O'Brien, none shall ever take his place. lovely folks out there in the hinterlands this is rock along with my co-host max and we're going to be your guides as we explore all things supernatural on our podcast nightmares and daydreams yes welcome here at nightmares and daydreams we're going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal legendary and monstrous and fun yes fun max as we say here fun is important we are a fun group of guys but uh do you want to know what's not funny what's that a fairy woman who's unearthly keen without fail foretells your doom. My doom? Well, not yours, since you're not descended from one of the five ancient Irish families. I mean, my family's pretty ancient, but we're definitely not Irish. Makes me wonder, though. What's that? Who or what are the five great ancient Irish families? I'm glad you asked, especially since we did all this research. It's what I'm here for. Mere plot device. Not true, Max. You brought the pizza, the good, cheesy pizza that will power us through this episode. Well, you brought the beer. Know your strengths, right? You really should have brought Guinness, you know, in honor of the episode. Well, that would have been perfect in a perfect world, but I'm all about recycling, so I brought what was in my fridge. Great. You brought skunky beer. Old but not ancient beer is better than no beer at all. Ben Franklin said that, I'm almost certain. Says you. So, speaking of something ancient. Yeah, yeah. The five ancient Irish families. Like that segue there? Smooth. It was like butter. Like Kerrygold butter. See what we did there, man? We are just setting a cool (laughs) Irish-centric line of thought here for those uh, non-Irish listeners out there. Stay with us. Yeah, you're so very clever. So the five great ancient Irish families. Are, in no particular order, the O'Neills, the O'Briens, the O'Connors, the O'Gradys, and the Kavanaugh's. And what's so special about these clans of Irish men and women? Well, according to the lore, the Banshee, the subject of this week's show, keens only for these families— and her keen cry, or well, as you know, means a member of that family is about to die. I love the Banshee. She's kind of a harbinger class of spirit. Max, I always thought she was more of a class 7 roaming vapor <laughs> or a class 5 full torso apparition at the very least. He slimed me. Don't cross the streams. I like how it's early on and we're already referencing great 80s movies. (laughs) And let's talk about the word Banshee, right? It's a large part of the language, and I believe most folks have heard it, even if they don't know exactly what it means or where it comes from. And it's, you know, kind of everywhere. Right, right. Well, if you Google Banshee, the first thing that comes up is a TV show. 
Then, of course, we've all heard the term wail like a banshee or scream like a banshee. For sure. It's also, I guess, a classic Yamaha four-wheeler. And then, of course, mm-hmm. there's the great band, Susie and the Banshees. Susie and the Banshees. We're talking old school. Kiss them for me. Man, that song was the jam sandwich. Uh, you know, continuing on with the Banshee, also one of my favorite X-Men was known as a Banshee, Sean Cassidy. And we're talking classic X-Men way back in the day here. I'm kind of partial to Nightcrawler, but seriously, I've always loved Banshee stories. Absolutely. The Banshee's always been one of my favorite aspects of Irish folklore, yeah. alongside the Trooping Fairies, the Solitary Fairies, and the Doolahan, of course. The Doolahan? Yeah, the Doolahan is this headless rider who uses a human spine to whip his horse to faster speeds. Oh, okay. Or any fools that happen to be in his way on his nightly escapades. He's also the coachman that drives the infamous Coach Devour, the Death Coach, that according to legend, once it rolls out from the infernal barn or garage or wherever the hell you keep a coach in, it can't come back empty. It has to return with a human soul. Super creepy. And also, get this, if you hear the Death Coach rattling around your house and you open the door, a basin of blood will be thrown in your face. Well, that'll wake you up. Irish myth doesn't really joke around. It can get pretty dark because some of these fey folk aren't very friendly toward us short-lived humans. Stealing babies, kidnapping young men and women. Actually, a lot of kidnapping going on. Yes, you're absolutely right. And now we're talking about the seely and the unseely courts, right? The categories of fairies that are friendly or unfriendly towards people, quote, light or dark fairies. Yeah, but as you like to say, that's a podcast for another day. It definitely is. So, Max, you'll laugh, man. But my first encounter to the Banshee legend was from watching the classic Disney movie, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. That's awesome. Definitely one of my favorites. <laughs> Say, man, for me, it's at a Princess Bride level of rewatchability. Young Sean Connery. I mean, come on, so great. What time does Sean Connery get to Wimbledon? I've heard this. What time does Sean Connery get to Wimbledon? Tennis. Your Sean Connery is awesome. Like that? You're the man now, dog. Wait, drunk Connery? Max, I'll have you know that I had the best Connery impersonation in Austin for the past decade at least, no matter what Ted from Esther's Folly says. <laughs> so you say. All right, let's keep going. So, Darby O'Gill? Yeah, uh, drunk Connery. Yeah, you have the manners of a goat and you smell like a dung heap, Max. No, uh, right. getting, getting back to Darby. Uh, man, it scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. And uh, the first time I saw it, the special effects they whipped up for the Banshee yeah. really creeped me out pretty good in all the forced perspective and that wailing. For sure. Pretty damn good for a movie that was made in the late 1950s. Still holds up, definitely. Yeah, H.T. Cavanaugh, she wrote the books. Uh, those stories are really good as well. Completely different tone, though. But I digress like I often do. So, Max, where did you first read or hear about the Banshee? read about it when I was a kid. I'm almost certain it was one of those... Uh, Brian Froud books, The Fairies. Great illustrations in those books as well. Brian Froud, you know, kind of getting off the subject here. Have you seen the new uh, Dark Crystal thing on Netflix? He did all the creature design on that, so pretty cool. Oh, really? Yeah. I So I went back and rewatched the movie because it had been so long, mm-hmm. but I haven't quite gotten to the show yet. No, it's great. It takes place 50 years before. But again, we are digressing. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I know, man. Brian Froud is awesome. Alan Lee also did a lot of the illustrations in those books. And what a debt we owe that guy. Yeah. Let's not even get started on his work in the Tolkien universe. We'll be here all day. 
So amazing. Yeah. Proud's books are lovely. His books on giants. That's a really good one as well. Such a fun read and such amazing illustrations. Yeah, I have that one as well. All right, let's get back into the word itself. Banshee, what's the history of that as far as we can tell? It entered the English lexicon in the 16, 1700s. And according to the lore, its origin is in Old Irish or Gaelic, Ben Sede, which literally meant woman of the fairy mound. And from then it went from Old Irish to Plain Irish. Doesn't say, but that was translated to Beyond Sede, which that translated to Woman of the Fairies as opposed to Woman of the Fairy Mound, as I said earlier. And uh, it entered the English language in the late 16th century. Let's get to the facts. What is a banshee? The banshee is an ancient Irish fairy woman whose mournful cry foretells the death of members of certain Irish families. She is sometimes called an attendant fairy. And in some legends, she cries three days prior the person who's about to die is a death. And on others, she cries the very same day. So she's, you know, hashtag flexible. <laughs> Good to be flexible, you know. Yeah. So is the Banshee always female? According to the lore, yeah. Though her appearance can vary, she can be young or old, hideous or beautiful. But she's always female. And she's been seen at rivers or streams, walking slowly through wooded areas crying and rapping on windows or even flying through the air. Regardless, she's always female and her cry always means certain doom. So what do we know about her origins? Well, according to the lore, her legend probably can be traced back to the 7th century when women, known as keeners, were paid to cry and well to show their lamentation for some departed soul. This was prevalent throughout Ireland and Scotland. So these women were paid to literally weep for the dead? Yes, sir. Also, they were sometimes paid with alcohol. Nice. Nice. I like Very a smooth nice. Irish whiskey, you know. Well, alcohol is a depressant, so it probably helped with the authenticity. Yeah, you know, it had to take the edge off and help them nail that <laughs> performance, you know, made them look especially sad. How do you think that worked out? Say you had a great day and you have to cry at some funeral that night. You get up, you worked out, you walked the dog, did all your errands, just won the day. Just nailed it, man. I imagine these ladies were pros. I mean, they had this routine they went through to get them all worked up and sad and whatnot. They probably looked up sad memes. <laughs> and some keeners, according to Laura, were highly sought after and highly paid. Mm -hmm. The richer the family of the person who died, the more keeners were at the funeral. So imagine the racket coming from the funeral of some rich noble or king even. Yeah. You know, a quick tidbit on that. Some say in regard to the Banshee's well, the more important the person that's about to die, the louder the well. In fact, in some cases, more than one banshee has been heard willing before some important person's death. So some high-ranking priest or head of the nobility or head of state got the rock star treatment from several banshees whose cries were heard all over the countryside at the same time. I wonder how many banshees I'd get. Hmm. Well, you're not Irish, so... True. So zero. <laughs> zero banshees, which is good, you know, because do you really want to know? Like, yeah. I... <laughs> It's that ignorance is bliss thing. I guess if you ever find out, you're... <laughs> it's so funny because I've heard different stories, quote unquote, modern encounters with the Banshees. And these are just people watching Netflix, hanging out and like, what's that sound? It's your car alarm. Yeah. You know what? Use any other source <laughs> of noise. Let it not be the Banshee. Like, yeah, that was the kid next door crying. As far as we can tell, the Keeners are what Laura points to as far as tracing the origin of the Banshee. As with all things of this nature, we've no way of knowing absolutely 100%, but signs do point to yes. There definitely seems to be some sort of correlation. And the Banshee's whale, that's always been her preferred method of letting people know that their time is up? Yeah, it's been her signature move for hundreds of years, but apparently 
ancient banshees were a bit more bloody. Nice. There's a tale involving the ancient Irish high king Brian Baru, who drove out the Danes, and his encounter with an infamous banshee named Ibe Hill. So this was in 1014 AD at the Battle of Clontarf, and Brian Baru, who was already old by this time, an aged king, had seen his share of battles. And you know, Max, it was probably a ripe old 33, 34 years old. Yeah, back then. He had to be. Mm-hmm. You're a badass and ancient if you made it to your venerable third decade back then. All Lazarus, yeah. All Rip Van Winkle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And, uh, you know, you're probably yelling at the kids to get off my peat and all that sort of stuff, you know, <laughs> at that point. In your 30s, you know, you're venerable. So this banshee appears before the king to let him know his fate. And she did this not by crying or wailing, but by appearing before him as she washed bloody human limbs and heads. And one can only assume it was his head that the king saw her washing. So yeah, there you have it. She went from washing bloody body parts to crying. That would definitely put a damper on the next day's battle. So you see a fairy woman washing your bloody head. All in all, I probably prefer the wailing aspect. Yeah, it can be creepy, but I'm with you 100%. And in regards to the wailing aspect, there are different beliefs tied into that as well. So some say if you were a good, kind person in life, then the banshee will sing low and peaceful for your passing. On the other side of that coin, if you're kind of a hate-filled ass wagon, well, (laughs) the keening at your passing was going to be very loud and screeching and discordant. That makes sense. This might be a good place for a banshee-filled tale. You in? You know it. An ancient lady of a long, noble lineage lay ill in her ancestral estate. Many family members and attendants waited for the hour to arrive, for her to pass on and her suffering to ease. One evening, just after dusk, the lady opened her eyes, sat bolt upright, and pointed at the massive window in her bedroom. She is here, the lady exclaimed, smiling before laying back down and closing her eyes. Only, as every living soul in the room could see, there was nothing at the window, nothing visible. All that said, mere moments later, the sweetest singing was heard, low and peaceful, floating through the estate and seeming to focus in on the lady's room. Her family and friends thought it a trick, and many rushed outside to search the estate grounds, only to find nothing. Yet the peaceful singing kept on, resonating through the forested grounds and into the very house itself, seeming to cast a spell of peace on the estate that lasted all through the night. Finally, Just before cockcrow, the lady passed on peacefully, and the low, sweet singing, the lamentation, ended. Never to be heard on the estate again. So that's the way I want to go, you know? My ancient fairy attendant sweetly guiding me to the afterlife as I pass peacefully on to the other side with a comforting song. She must have been one of those kind people you were talking about to have that sweet singing at her passing. I hear you. Sounds like the friendliest banshee of all time. Follow the light, dear lady. Follow the light. (laughs) A far cry from the Bian Caonte. Pardon my pronunciation. What's that? She's reported to inhabit the area around Leinster, and her powerful cry is said to shatter glass. Talk about a sonic attack. No thanks. Not into the shattering glass business. Mm -mm. But going back to the previous story, how cool would it be to have your own estate and ancestral lands in the first place? I like your current estate, pal. Large backyard, great locations. 
couple of faithful hounds. Let's not get greedy. I mean, I'm just saying, it would be pretty choice. Yes, yes, I would highly recommend it if you have the means. <laughs> so, as you alluded to earlier, that tale shows the beneficial side of having your own attendant fairy woman who lets you know your time is up. It kind of prepares you, yeah? Yes, and the tale also confirms reports that many times banshees are not seen, only heard. Kind of trippy. So, Max, let's get into the role the banshee plays as a psychopomp in Irish and Scottish folklore. Let our attractive and intelligent listeners know what a psychopomp is. You are the classical studies guy, after all. Well, the origins of the word psychopomp are Greek, and it literally translates to guider or sender of souls. And it's a role that's occupied in many religions and folklores the world over. Mm -hmm. I mean, almost every culture has some being cast in that very specific role. Can you give us some examples? Well, the Banshee, obviously, as we've just discussed. Then you have Charon, the Greek ferryman who takes you over the... The Greek ferryman. <laughs> exactly. The Irish Greek ferryman <laughs> who takes you over the river Styx. And in various religions, you also have angelic type beings that fill that role. For sure. And honestly, the most well-known psychopomp, at least in the West, one that I'm sure all of our listeners will be familiar with is probably the Grim Reaper. Yeah. That guy has the look you won't forget. Hooded, skeletal, carrying a sharp farm implement, not the most comforting guider of souls. Add into that the fact that it's just a skull grinning from a hooded cloak. Well, there's a reason the Grim Reaper is so popular during Halloween. He has the best PR in the psychopomp field. And you know, that's a fun word, psychopomp. Sounds like some crazed cheerleader. <laughs> so uh, any other psychopomps to speak of, Max? Well, tons really, but let's save that for another podcast, as we like to say podcast for another day yeah stay tuned listeners we got some fresh stuff on the horizon keep checking back so as we're discovering the banshee is known as a mainstay of irish folklore right of course but there are also scottish tales and while the bones of the tales are the same the meat and sinew of the stories are quite a bit different in some cases mm, meat and sinew now i'm getting hungry for some barbecue <laughs> max anyway continue amigo all right the scottish version of the banshee is called the Ban Nye or Ban Nee, which translates loosely to washerwoman or little washerwoman at the ford. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of this version. It's like, you know, if a person is going off to battle or some conflict and they see a woman washing bloodstained clothes or armor by a river or stream and the clothing that she's washing is theirs, then... Yeah, exactly. It almost seems to harken back to that older version of the Banshee where she's washing the mm -hmm. limbs and whatnot. So if the armor or bloody clothes that she's cleaning is their own, well, it's not looking good for that upcoming battle. <laughs> yeah, the Scottish Banshees are a little more hardcore, baby. And uh, that's a buzzkill. Because, you know, like you're all stoked to go stab people for king right. and country, and then all of a sudden you get a Banshee wasting your flavor, letting you know you ain't going to make it. I just head back to bed, you know, just binge watch a show or something. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> who wants to know that? It's almost like the battle's over before it's even begun. Folks were made of sterner stuff back then. Uh, I'd imagine they just tighten their armor straps if they were fortunate enough to have any and keep on marching, grim-faced and ready to face their fate. I get upset when my coffee order comes out wrong. Well, you're asking for a fight messing with a person's morning coffee. First you drink the coffee, Max, and then you do the things. Like all things in life. Word on that. Coffee things. So, Max, there's also a Welsh version of the Banshee. Welsh? Like Catherine Zeta-Jones Welsh? Welsh is a country, right? Yes. 
I love that fucking Welsh. It's grape juice. <laughs> yeah, like Catherine Zeta Jones Welsh. I love that. It's this whole ancient culture, and that's the one thing that we identify with it. Is it Welsh like Catherine Zeta Jones Welsh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Wales. Anyways, yeah. So there is a Welsh version of the Banshee, and pardon my pronunciation, the Goak i Ribbon, and that's her name. It literally translates to Hag of the Dribble or Dribbling Hag. I mean, that sounds pretty gross. Yeah, unless she plays in the NBA or something. <laughs> not the best name, but I suppose our Welsh friends are just keeping it real. But I think maybe it's not really fair even to call her a Banshee. She's more her own thing, but she serves the same purpose as the Banshee. She's an omen, foretelling the death of families of old Welsh blood. Any particular families? Yes, sir. The straddling family of South Wales. But this is a thing. She looks nothing like our traditional banshee. She's almost something of a gargoyle. Hideous old woman, black matted hair, tusk-like teeth, long muscular arms ending in sharp claws, and, is a kicker, large leathery bat-like wings. Damn. You definitely need at least a plus two weapon to even damage her. At least a plus two. Preferably plus three flaming lightning weapon, something to set those wings afire. So yeah, Max, she cries and she wells and she scratches her nails on windows while people have heard her massive wings flapping outside. And apparently she haunts St. Donat's castle. And even though the Straddlings lost the castle many years ago, she still identifies the family with the estate and still wails and cries in the area when a Straddling family member is about to die. Man, these Harbinger Omen phantoms ain't no joke. Definitely not for the families that they attend to. Shall we have another tale? Let's do it. One Lady Anne Fanshawe, while visiting her boon companion, Lady Honora O'Brien, was stirred from her sleep by an otherworldly series of moans. Late though the night was, Lady Fanshawe lit her candle and followed the source of the strange noise to her window. There, bathed in the moonlight, hovered a beautiful red-haired woman, touching the glass softly and looking at Lady Fanshawe with imploring deep green eyes. The phantom's body was translucent, seeming to move and float with every ebb and flow of the outdoor breeze. Finally, the apparition welled three times in quick succession before her form vanished, leaving the lady shaken and unable to sleep for the rest of the night. The next morning, Lady Fanshawe explained what she had seen, and her hostess only smiled slightly and apologized to her companion. Lady O'Brien told her friend that hundreds of years earlier, the same young woman she had seen at the window had been seduced and murdered by the estate's previous owner, a distant relative. The cruel man had buried her body beneath the very room Lady Fanshawe slept in, and since then, the poor girl had attached herself to the O'Brien clan, becoming their banshee and wailing before any member of the family died. Lady O'Brien was not surprised her friend had seen their banshee, for at the time of the encounter, a distant cousin had died in another room on the estate. I like that story, and it hits on another aspect of the Banshee. What's that? Well, in some cases, a victim of a violent crime that was perpetrated by members of these ancient Irish families will come back and serve as that family's Banshee. That's pretty interesting. 
Yeah, it is. And we do see that actually across some other cultures, like in Breton culture, where there's this conflation or overlap of fairy and undead or ghostly uh, beings. But I, I wonder what causes it. Do you think maybe it's like to see the family punished or or what? Who knows? And, you know, what I'm really curious about is how you apply for that job. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it makes you wonder what kind of odd rules govern our universe. Mm -hmm. Who's in charge of all these hauntings and spirits? And how did these specific Irish clans acquire these phantoms? Are banshees a benefit or a curse for these people? It's just one of those things that we don't know. And that's the super cool part of the paranormal realm, the mystery, because we have no idea. We can only guess, and those guesses are probably so far off base that we have no clue definitely makes you think. And going back to the Guac y Ribbon, the Welsh banshee-like phantom, she still haunts St. Donat's Castle, right? She didn't really follow the straddling family as they dispersed around the globe, but identified the castle with the family long after they were no longer there. Yeah. So yeah, this is another aspect of the banshee's legend. The Guac y Ribbon doesn't travel, but the banshee does. Even outside of Ireland? She does, according to some encounters that have taken place outside of the Emerald Isle. I wonder who she has to ask permission for that. Right? Who stamps that passport? There's a quick tale that took place in Canada. A branch of the O'Grady family had relocated there and had been there for many years, establishing themselves in a fishing village on the coast. One day, the father and the son go out on the bay, which is a routine. And since, you know, back then we didn't have smartphones that kept us updated on the weather, a storm rushed in, and they were lost at sea. People took their fate in their own hands back then. I mean, even now the weather is very unpredictable. So the storm passes, and the boats go out in the bay searching the rescue party. Meanwhile, the rest of the family is at home, and they start hearing this haunting cry all around their house. The younger families have no clue what it is, but the older ones do, and they know what it means. The father and son were both found, washed up on the shore, drowned. There's no escape once she cries. It's the proverbial nail in the coffin. I wonder, though, if you hear her cry, do you run out to see if you can find them? Or are you just like, well, guess they're dead, <laughs> and you leave them for... <laughs> You're like, I guess we can wait till tomorrow to I look mean, for the bodies. <laughs> we're like, well, we might as well eat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we might as, I guess they're not going to be might as well finish the Scrabble game. <laughs> yeah, we we might as well finish the Scrabble game right now because there's no point rushing and everybody else getting hurt. I mean, that's a horrible thing, man. It's like you just know, right? <laughs> First off, you got to ask questions. Is it raining out? Is it uncomfortable? Yeah. <laughs> Is it dark? We should just stay in. Yeah, not worth it. Not worth it. Okay, so I'm shifting gears here, but let's talk about the families just for a second again. The Kavanaugh's, O'Brien's, mm -hmm. O'Grady's, O'Neill's, and O'Connor's. And what about those fine groups of Irish lads and lasses, Max? There seems to be an overly large number of banshee sightings and legends and tales and whatnot for only five families. Admittedly, there are a lot of people with those last names, but still, even so. And I completely agree, and I had the same thought. Do you want to hear what the experts say? What experts? Who are these supposed experts on banshee lore? I imagine cool old Irishmen at pubs, you know, having a smoke and nursing pints of Guinness, getting in the occasional Donnybrook. Those kind of experts. Okay, I can respect those kind of experts. So the experts surmise that the bloodlines, right, these ancient Irish bloodlines, have been diluted by marriage and time. 
so a distant relative of, say, the O'Connors might still have enough of the original blood to trigger a Banshee death warning. What say you? Makes sense to me. <laughs> trigger a Banshee death warning. Nice. You like that? Sounds like a video game. You're about to trigger a Banshee death warning. Tread carefully. <laughs> That's funny. So let's get into a few of the Harbingers, shall we? I mean, since we're on the subject and all? Yeah, sure. I ran across a very cool one. Don't keep us waiting, man. What is it? All right, so let's talk about the Foxes of Gormanstown. Leave it to you to come across some fox legend. You love you some foxes. I do love me some wily, clever foxes. Okay, foxes of Gormanstown. Where is Gormanstown? It's not a where, but a who. They're an Irish clan whose family crest is a running fox. And get this, whenever the head of the house is about to die, foxes come out of the woods and converge on Gormanstown Castle. Real foxes, like flesh and blood small carnivores. Real foxes. They can be heard barking and howling at all hours nice. before the clan leader dies. Sighted in and around Gormanstown Castle. And the closer the head of the house is to death, the louder the foxes get. Hmm. And an additional FYI, the foxes have been seen and documented well into the 1900s. Damn, that is super odd. I love it when nature gets wrapped up in some supernatural cycle. Like, how did these foxes become harbingers of death for this Gormanstown clan? Well, they're probably just banshees that took their cloaks off. <laughs> it's all banshees or foxes. <laughs> Cloak of disguise. Maybe it was the clan's price to pay for using the foxes for the family crest. Well, that's as good a theory as any. Okay, my turn. I'm going to talk about the Headless Horseman. All right. Well, we all know it's just Brom Bones playing pranks on Ichabod again. So, yeah, good old Brom. So this involves the McLean family from the Lochbuie district in Scotland. When a horseman known as Ewan of the Little Head is heard riding at night, hooves clattering, they know a family member is about to die. So what's the story with this headless horseman? So Ewan was the son of the clan chief, but he wanted to be the clan chief himself. And I suppose he wasn't willing to wait until his father died. So Ewan and his followers began feuding with his father and his father's followers. Finally, in 1538, things came to a head, pun intended, and the two McLean parties went into proper battle. The younger son was beheaded in the battle, and from that time on, Ewan of the Little Head has ridden at night to warn the Lockbuoy McLeans about an impending death. But there's an interesting side note that ties into this podcast as well. Oh yeah? What's that? Well, before the battle, Ewan encountered the Scottish version of the Banshee, the Beyond Nye, or Washerwoman at the Ford. He saw her washing bloody clothes. His clothes. So he just goes up to her and talks to her. Pretty ballsy. Like I said, folks were made of sterner stuff back then. So he just rolls up and he asks her if he can escape his fate. And she tells him that if his wife butters his bread at breakfast the next morning, he's going to survive the battle. So let me guess. <laughs> yep. No butter on the bread. Correct. But this guy still went into battle, knowing his fate, and in dying, he became a harbinger of death for his own family, the Lockbuoy McLeans. Never in the history of mankind has a man wanted butter on his carp so much. So, so much. What if she put something like, I can't believe it's not butter? Does that count, or was it just some kind of spread? Like, what if she put margarine? Would that have saved him, do you think? I don't think margarine counts. Oh, man, that sucks. Margarine will kill you every time. She might have put jelly on there and just had to be, had to be butter. All that guy wanted was some butter on that bread. Ladies and gents, thanks for joining us. That's going to do it for us this time around, and we hope you guys had a blast. Absolutely. If you guys and gals enjoyed hanging out with Rock and myself, share us with your friends. Let them know about our little podcast. Please do. 
Give us a shout out on Twitter. Stop by and say hi at our Facebook page. Visit us at our website, nightmarespodcast.net. We'd love to hear from you. Also, our intro song, as always, is Calliope's Call by the lovely Teresa Joy. Find and follow her at Viobright, V-I-O-B-R-I-T-E, on the gram and Facebook. So until next time, sweet dreams. Thank you.